Amen. Well, it's a great privilege to be here this morning, and thank you very much for coming. Um, as always, the preacher learns far more than the congregation. I've really enjoyed um, preparing and thinking around these passages. Um, I'm not a regular preacher. I am a member of this congregation. And uh, I just wanted to say thank you to John for giving me the opportunity. And if you want to follow in the Bibles, uh, the reading, it is on page uh, 968. We're looking at a passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. As I said, if you've got a church Bible, it's 968. Um, And uh, what we are looking at is a series on what's called the Beatitudes, And um, just a little bit of background in case uh, you haven't been following the series. Basically, we got to the stage in Jesus' life uh, when crowds are starting to follow him. And he decides to retreat uh, up into the mountains and to take his disciples with him. And he starts to teach his disciples. And um, I read one book, and it said it's a bit like a summer school, and I think it's a good idea because uh, obviously he's packing quite a lot of teaching in uh, over a short period of time, and Matthew gives us, uh, if you like, uh, some of the main points uh, of the teaching. And so we're looking at uh, what's called the Beatitudes, and if you don't mind, I'd like to start with verse 3. Uh, which isn't the passage I'm asked to speak on, but I think it's good just to remind us of of actually where we've got to. Uh, I'm down at 9 and 10, by the way. That's where I'm meant to be. But I'd just like to start in verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'd like to say, really, uh, what Jesus is saying, there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of this world, and there's the kingdom of heaven. And if you can grasp that, it'll help you to understand what he is talking about. There's the kingdom of this world, and there is the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God. And the value systems are very, very different. The value systems of the kingdom of this world are very different to the value systems of the kingdom of heaven. And there is this conflict between the two kingdoms because the values are so different. And uh, I have tried to understand the kingdom. And for me, I understand it like this. God has made Jesus the king of his kingdom. And when Jesus came a little bit earlier, it says that Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom is near. Why is the kingdom near? Because the king is near. And at the end of his life, just before he goes to the cross, he says to Pilate, My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. And Pilate says, so you are a king? And he says, yes, I am a king. And what he is giving us here is the values of the kingdom. This is what Jesus expects. 
And uh, I can see I've already muddled. Oh, I'm meant to be pressing this thing. Em, you couldn't do all this for me, could you? Because I'm not very good at this. This is where I should be. But actually, can we go to the next slide? I'm sorry. You can see I'm not very practiced. I just encourage you, think kingdom. We tend to talk a lot about the church. But actually, Jesus said very little about the church. He nearly always spoke about the kingdom. He talked in his parables, the kingdom is like this, the kingdom is like that. And I am really being blessed because in my early life as a Christian, people taught me about the kingdom. And he is saying, these are the qualities of the people in my kingdom. This is what I expect from people in my kingdom. And then he says, blessed are those in my kingdom. And these are the blessings if you're in the kingdom. How do we enter the kingdom? By realizing we are spiritual beggars. That without God we are nothing. And we call out to God when we realize that we are nothing. And we say, oh God, help me. Please forgive me. I believe in Jesus. And you turn to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I kneel before you. I want to spend the rest of my life following you as my king. Come into my life. And from now on, I want to learn to please you. I want to learn to obey you. I want you to be my king. And we enter the kingdom. We enter the kingdom. And it says here, blessed. Blessed are those who are in the kingdom. So the next one, (laughs) sorry, I will get to nine or ten. But I've been thinking about this word blessed. And I don't know what you think about blessed, but it's one of those words we use a great deal. But what do we mean by blessing? I used to, when I first became a Christian, use the Bible, the Good News Bible. And it was an excellent Bible. But it used to say, happy. Happy. And I don't think that's a good translation at all. I mean, how can you say, happy are the sad? How can you say, happy are the persecuted? So I've been thinking, and I have to be honest with you here, I actually am not very good at languages, and I'm no good at Greek. And I remember when I was at Bible college, uh, one of the Bible college teachers said, unless you learn Greek, you can never be a good teacher. (laughs) Well, I'm afraid I don't understand Greek. So fortunately, we have some really good Bible teachers here. John's a great Bible teacher. Lou's a great Bible teacher. Other here's good Bible teacher. So if I've got this wrong, they'll put it right. Okay. But let's look at the next slide. Thanks, Em. This is my understanding of blessed. First of all, it's God-given. And I think like grace, it is undeserved, it's unmerited, it's good, and it's beneficial. 
However you put that package together, whether you say it's receiving God's undeserved beneficial favor, or whether you say it's receiving God's unmerited goodness, I think blessing has those ideas. So if you go through these Beatitudes, on the left, you have Jesus' expectation of what it means to be in his kingdom. The characteristics that he expects believers to have. And on the right-hand side, you have the blessings. So he expects us to understand that we are spiritually needy. But the blessing is that we're in the kingdom. He expects us to grieve and mourn and be sad. Sad about spiritual things, sad about what we see in the world. But the blessing will be that we will be comforted. He expects us to be humble. How different to the world. But the blessing is one day we will inherit. And so it goes on. He expects us to be pure, to be holy. And one day the blessing will be that we will see God. Anyway, that's the background. Sorry about that. (laughs) Now, oh, I don't know how we go back, but never mind. Uh, We are, verse 9, let me read it. We're now where I meant to be, okay? I've taken five minutes warming up. I always remember saying, say, don't wiggle too long at the tee, all right? So I haven't been wiggling, I hope I haven't been wiggling too long on the golf course. However, verse 9, blessed or blessed are the peacemakers... For they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So now we've got to where I'm meant to be speaking. Okay, we're off. Blessed or blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. Now I need to tell you that my father had two sons. I am one, and my brother is the other. Now, I look like my father, but my brother does not look like my father. And one day, uh, we actually came out of a local church, uh, the local village church, and people were trying to make polite conversation as they do. And one person, and we were all standing there, and one day, uh, somebody said to my father, speaking about me, there's no doubt who his father is. And with an absolutely straight face, my father said, is there any doubt about the other one? (laughs) Well, you can imagine my mother had something to say. (laughs) But because I looked like my father, he said, oh, he's just like, he's just like his father. And the idea here is that if we are peacemakers, we would be just like God. Because God is a God of peace. God is a God of harmony. God is a God who reaches out with his hand of peace. And he says peacemakers will be called the sons of God. Because that is a quality of God. He is a God of of peace. What I'd also like to say here is 
he is not saying that we should live a peaceful life. That isn't what this passage is. Blessed are the peacemakers. He's not saying blessed are the peaceful. He's not saying go and live in a tranquil village somewhere and be at peace with your neighbors. He isn't saying go up a mountain and enjoy the scenery and live in the beautiful peace of the mountains. He isn't saying go and get a little place by the beach and enjoy a peaceful existence. He's saying blessed are the peacemakers. And I was struck. Jesus, when he was teaching, he said, when you go into a village, look for the person of peace. I don't know exactly what Jesus meant, I'm still learning, but he expects us to be involved in the community in a way of peace. We should bring peace and harmony in our communities. And we should see that we have a ministry of reconciliation, particularly bringing peace between people and God. And I know it's not so common these days, but I remember as a younger man, people would say, are you at peace with God? Or would you like to make peace with God? That's not an expression that is so common these days. But God is a God of peace. And Jesus expects us to be peacemakers. Now, some of you will know I travel a bit. And uh, uh, I travel to Pakistan with a guy called John Simmons. He used to be the pastor here several years ago. And he's a great guy to travel with. And on my last trip to Pakistan, we got off the plane, we get out to the airport, and I should say that we, we particularly have two brothers that we work with in Pakistan as partners. Anyway, we get out of the airport, and it's obvious that these two brothers have had a humdinger of a disagreement. They really is a big conflict. You know, there's tension in the air. And it carries on, you know, it just, it isn't a little thing, this is, this is big. And these are Christian brothers in Christian ministry. And uh, the amazing thing is, this is just a side, we don't have to be perfect to be used by God. But, but, my friend John said, God has brought us here and we are to try to bring reconciliation between these brothers. So I say, oh yeah, right, <laughs> you know. And, and John is really good. And he says, no, 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 we really must. And to what we pray about it, and he works towards it. He speaks with one brother, speaks with the other brother, and he arranges a meeting between these two brothers. And I need to tell you, I hate conflict. I hate shouting. I hate arguments. <laughs> but there we are. And these are Asian guys, and it is a really fiery meeting. And there is shouting. <laughs> but there was a grievance aired that we actually knew nothing about. We were both taken totally by surprise. And so we had the meeting, and we prayed. And then the next morning, I went to one of the brothers, and I just gave him a hug. And I said, are you all right, brother? And he put his head on my shoulder, and he started to cry. And he cried and cried and cried until my shirt was wet. Now, I'm not very good at conflict. John did that. But I was able to put my arms around this brother and say, are you all right, brother? 
And the great thing is, those two brothers are now completely friends again. The animosity is gone, and they're now ministering together and helping each other. We are expected to be peacemakers. Oh, good. Well done, Em. You're ahead of me. We are expected to be peacemakers. And if we are peacemakers, then we will be called the sons of God. That is the blessing. How different to the world's values in which people are so demanding, where they're so angry, and it's all about my rights. But Jesus said, you have a part to play in your community, you have a part to play to be peacemakers. And I would just like to mention here that if we want to be peacemakers, I thought something that Sandra Lambros said a few weeks ago really struck me. We need to linger in the presence of God. However we do it, if we are to be peacemakers, we need to be at peace with God and we need to carry the peace of God with us. We will only do that if we can learn to linger and spend time in the presence of God. However you do it, we all need to learn to linger. Now we're looking at the next one. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Um, I have lived in a comfortable Western post-World War II golden era of comfort and peace which has shielded me from the harsh realities of what life is like for so many believers in so many different countries. I feel really inadequate to talk about persecution because I have not experienced persecution. But it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Some believe that actually this is the last beatitude. And what the next two verses do is explain and expound and illustrate this blessing for the persecuted. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, if you follow me, expect to be persecuted. But if you are persecuted, it does not mean that you will lose your blessing. You are still part of the kingdom. And if you go on and read in the next few verses, it says, great will be your reward. But that is for next week. Blessed are those who are persecuted. For theirs is the kingdom. Even if you're persecuted, even if you suffer for your faith, it doesn't mean that you have done something wrong. It doesn't mean that you've blown it. It doesn't mean you've made a mistake. Yours is the kingdom. Blessed 
are those who are persecuted for righteousness. Blessed and persecuted are those who live to please me. And they do what is right before God. They are blessed. Expect persecution. Because Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. All men will hate you because of me, Jesus said. All men will hate you because of me. And then he said, you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations. You will be hated by all nations. I have a few things and I I read this article can we have the next one M I hope this is right I hope I've got the right order this was in the independent most people in the west would be surprised by the answer to the question who are the most persecuted people in the world. According to the International Society for Human Rights, a secular group with members in 38 states worldwide, 80% of all acts of religious discrimination in the world today are directed at Christians. 80%. 80%. And then the next one, in the same article, it said this. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity in the United States estimates that 100,000 Christians now die every year targeted because of their faith. That is 11 every hour. 11 Christians die every hour around the world because of their faith. I have been shielded because I live in a Western country post-Second World War. We have known peace in Europe that others have not known. I'd also like to read you an article that I have from Release International. Now I would just encourage you. <laughs> if you don't get magazines by Release International or Open Doors or Barnabas Fund, it's well worth getting one of these. And this is about, it's called Inside the Secret Gulag. It's in North Korea. I can't read it all, but I'm struck. And I can't pronounce some of the words, by the way. So, anyway. North Koreans found guilty of lesser infractions are sent to the or ordinary labor camps from which they might one day be released. But those found of guilty of serious crimes such as practicing Christianity 
are sent to the a different word, okay. Controlled areas for political prisoners. The regime may arrest entire families, punishing three generations of a family for the crime of just one member. Most prisoners sent to this place are incarcerated for life. Inmates are denied, denied contact with the outside world and not even their closest family members receive information of their whereabouts. Very few people have ever been released from these prisons. Conditions in these camps are so bad that nearly 40% of inmates die of starvation, while others commonly lose up to half their body weight. Prisoners tell of eating grass and rats to survive. Survivors of these camps are often permanently disfigured from torture and from being chained to the walls for days or weeks. Most of those who have disappeared inside these camps have been found guilty of one of three crimes. Now listen to this. One of three crimes... They have tried to flee North Korea. They have unauthorized contact with citizens of South Korea. Or they were discovered to be Christians. Jesus says, expect persecution. But yours still is the kingdom of heaven. On a more personal note... Some of you know that I travel to different countries and you might have heard me tell the story of going to a place called Abia in South Sudan. And this is on the border with North Sudan. And uh, three times the northern Arab Muslims have come in and destroyed the city of Abia. Three times the church has been destroyed. Three times the Christians in Abia have rebuilt the church. Two and a half weeks before, when I last went to Abia, two and a half weeks before I got there, 140 South Sudanese have been shot and killed in Abia by the Muslim Arabs. 20 from the church of Abbey, two and a half weeks before I got there. And I go to the church. And in the morning we go in and we just pray. And then some ladies turn up in the afternoon and they say, we missed the service in the morning, have another one. Now remember, two and a half weeks, 20 people have been killed from that little church. And yet we are there and they want to sing songs of praise and worship to God. And I'm astounded. And I think, would I do that? Would I do that? I don't know. But they had come to that place of realizing that without God they had nothing. Blessed are the spiritually poor. They had learnt to go again and again and again to God, even in the most desperate situations. I'd like to tell you about another one. 
This time I'm back in Pakistan. It was probably about three years ago. And again, I'm traveling with John. And this time we're in a meeting. And this meeting is with Christians who have been in prison. Or their families that have somebody in their family who is in prison. They're all Christians. And two old men walk forward, shuffling forward. And I don't know if they're literal brothers or if they're brothers in Christ. They may be literal brothers. And they're old men, and one of them is helping the other man as he walks forward. And he gets a chair for this man to sit down. And they're standing there. And Sahel leans across to me, and he says, These men have really suffered for Christ. And you know what these men did? They were at the front and they sang songs of praise to God. And John on my other side leaned across and he said, we're in the presence of the persecuted church. And I just want to leave you with this thought. But before I go there, I sorry, I jumped a little bit. My time has almost gone, but we all know of some of the terrible suffering that is going on around the world. Christians, I have just mentioned, are really suffering in North Korea. You cannot fail to know about what is happening in places like Syria, Palestine, Iran, Iraq, Nigeria, Darfur, Nuba Mountains. I would just encourage you to learn more about the persecuted church. These are our brothers. These are our sisters. And I don't want to alarm you. (laughs) But I want to ask you this question. If and when persecution comes, how will you keep your spiritual fervor in serving the Lord? If, for example, you can no longer send your children to a good school or any school, what if you live in a country where it's illegal to teach children the Bible? What if you lived in a country where it was illegal for somebody under the age of 18 to be part of this service? What if you couldn't get a good job? What if you are barred from getting a good job because you're a Christian? What would happen if people started bombing churches? What would happen if they start to set fire to Christian homes? When you're persecuted, how will you keep your spiritual fervor? The book of Romans says, do not lose your spiritual fervor in serving the Lord. And I'd just like to conclude. Blessed are those who are persecuted because theirs is the kingdom. No matter how much you suffer, no matter how much you're persecuted, yours is the kingdom. And let me tell you this. 
Jesus wins. The king wins. And he will come again. And if you are in the kingdom, if you believe in Jesus, even if you face persecution, even if you face suffering, you're in the right kingdom. Jesus wins. But when you go home, I would like you to think seriously. When you are persecuted, how will you keep your spiritual fervor? How will you help others to keep their spiritual fervor? Because it is better together. Thank you. May I pray? Almighty God and loving Heavenly Father, you know this has been a very serious subject this morning. I thank you that you love each and every one of us. But I do ask, Lord, that we would know an even greater measure of your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit would fill us with power, with love, and with boldness. We pray, Lord, that we may stand with our brothers and sisters who are suffering around the world. And Lord, if and when we face persecution, I ask, Lord, that you will show us how to keep our spiritual fervor in serving the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.